Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and after getting back in the podcast saddle last week, we're back once again with another episode. And this week I'm delighted to announce another top guest. Joining me tonight is former Newcastle midfielder Lee Clark and I must say I'm really looking forward to speaking to him on this episode. Lee, thanks ever so much for offering your time today and I hope all is well with you. Thank you, uh... Thanks for inviting us on to the podcast. Um, yeah, all great. Currently in Cairo in Egypt uh, in a training camp. Uh, our league programme restarts on 21st of May with the one remaining game we have from the first half of fixtures. We, we're a game behind, so if we can win that, we'll go join top with our local uh, and big rivals, Al Hilal, who we then play on the 24th of May. So set up nicely for a strong second half of the season. Absolutely. With that in mind, let's focus on your time in Sudan. How does a coaching post such as that come about? Because it's not a footballing outpost, shall we say. It's not the, the most uh, standard of locations. How does that move facilitate? Um, just through word of mouth, through agents, through people uh, I deal with and I've dealt with it since I've become a coach and a manager. Um, you know, it was originally happened through a, an agent I got to know while I was Birmingham City manager he's based down in the Midlands and you know he knew that I wanted to be a coach who worked overseas experience a new culture um, and a new way of working and uh, this opportunity came up and I looked into everything obviously about Sudan the country but more importantly the club Al-Merik and um, found out it was it's one of the biggest clubs in Africa when the COVID um, is eventually cleared up and 100% supporters can come into the stadium, we we, we get 43,000 full houses every week for league and uh, Champions League games. So, and the passion in Sudan for football is huge. Well, you mentioned the Champions League. I was going to ask about that because admittedly, the listeners won't be up to speed with Sudanese football. So apologies on that front. But what is the standard of the game like out there from a domestic point of view and also from that more continental standpoint? Well, in the league programme, obviously I haven't come up against Hilal, who um, are our big rivals, as I say, and they're currently top of the table, uh, three points ahead of us, albeit we've got a game in hand. They've just taken um, one of Jose Mourinho's assistants as their head coach. And, um, you know, so the, the league, you would probably say, is um, mid to mid-table towards the bottom of League One but when you're competing in the Champions League like we had Al-Ali in our group from Egypt and they're basically the Real Madrid of um, African Champions League football they've won it nine times the, the biggest club in Africa they average 80,000 uh, crowds every week and uh, you know they're 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 an African powerhouse so when you're competing that I would say you, you know you're talking about the championship and bottom end of the Premier League uh, being similar but I think you know the African champions is probably um, you know middle at the top of, of, of the championship in terms of when you come certainly the teams we've come up against um, in the group stages So for you personally what's it like adjusting to a new footballing country now I know you had time in Kilmarnock so that doesn't really mm. count for the purpose of this <laughs> but if, if we assume that's one country, what's it like going further afield? Is it um, a case of having to not only adapt to the country, but the new customs there also? Of course, the culture changes huge. I've got to be uh, 
I've got to buy into their culture, not not the other way around. You know, for example, um, before we train, the, the club there's a club prayer that's said by the whole group. Um, you know, the staff and the players before the game. Some of the players may decide to pray, even at half time. Some may decide to to pray. Um, you know, at the moment it's Ramadan, so we're working around that in terms of when the players can eat. Uh, they're currently fasting, you know, until six thirty nine tonight. So we train basically eleven thirty midnight. I mean, the early part of Ramadan, we actually trained at one a.m. in the morning. So. Uh, in the technical sessions so um, you know that's a new experience for me but fantastic great things to have great experience the people of Sudan and the players are so humble so respectful they work so hard and they give everything that they've got what I'm asking on the training pitch and, and in the game so I'm, I'm really enjoying it it's different of course it is and as you say it's, it's not fantastically well known but you know, this has opened a new opportunities for me in this part of the world with, with uh, you know, different countries and something, you know, I'm looking forward to. I guess at the same time, Lee, when you work in football, it does give you a passport to the world because it opens up so many doors and opportunities such as this do come about. In many other walks of life, you wouldn't have the ability to travel the world. But being in this industry, it is a game changer, isn't it? Absolutely. I've only been here six to eight weeks and already you know as I said I'm in Egypt at the moment I've been to Congo I've been to Tanzania I've experienced wow. you know going to those big clubs and playing in the Champions League there and um, you know different cultures and the way of thinking but you know the 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 language of football is the same all over the world and you know the passion of the supporters even though they can't get in on the streets when we're travelling to the games getting police escorts etc it's just crazy and uh, I think like everybody in professional sport cannot really wait for the day when 100% of all supporters are allowed in to to watch the games I know you know there's restrictions and it's getting uh, eased at the moment in terms of numbers allowed in I mean we played Al-Ali at home in the the Champions League and um, we were allowed 2,000 of our fans and, um, you know, they created a fantastic uh, atmosphere with just 2,000. So when you get another 41,000 on top of that, it's going to be electric. How has COVID protocol been over there from a sporting point of view? Has it been difficult to get to grips with or has it been pretty much plain sailing? No, it's obviously very similar to, to the UK um, in terms of what we've got to do. I mean, we're getting tested so often. I mean, as I said, six weeks I've been here, I've must have had 12 to 14 COVID tests. So, because obviously when we're going into different countries, we've got to get a PCR test to travel uh, through the Elite Sports Person programme. And, um, and then obviously when we come back to Sudan, we've got to do the same. So, and, and obviously, as a club, we, we test ourselves, the staff and the players, um, at least once, pr- probably twice a week. So, I mean, I've had one or two instances where players have not really shown symptoms, but they've tested positive. You know, we've got one player who's in isolation in the camp now who's tested positive. So, you know, we're just trying to monitor it as best we can. OK, so obviously this is a Blue Star podcast, so I just want to get some insight into your time at the club. So, again... How does such an opportunity come about? And with this one being so local in regards to where you grew up, is it one that produced an extra element of appeal? 
without a doubt. I mean, listen, my role hasn't changed. I'm still there for Stephen Best, the uh, the owner and the chairman of the club and the committee, uh, to to lean on and get advice. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It was disrupted, obviously, with the COVID. It was stop start. But Stephen and the committee have got unbelievable plans. They've got when I talk about passion, you know, you wouldn't find a more passionate group of people for what they're trying to do and for the area and for the club, you know, all the way from under fives, boys and girls, all the way up to the first team, putting out a fantastic um, stadium for the first team to play in, in hospitality venue for supporters and a fan- great match day experience. Um, I came back to the UK for a few days, but unfortunately, because of the rules and regs, I, I had to stay at home and self-isolate, so I couldn't get down to the club to see people. But, you know, during my time back, during off-season and mid-season breaks, I'll be getting back. I'm I'm, I'm always looking out for the results, um, you know, of the first team. And, and Liam and Paul have hit the ground running as the new management team. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it's... It was brilliant the, the short time I had there. It, it's not I've not given up on it. It's it's I'm still, you know, keep the title and, and I'll still be helping the club to in all aspects in sponsorship, in academy coaching, in helping the coaches, everything you know that I was required to do before from a distance. You know, me and Stephen still speak regular, so and the coaches have all got me numbers and uh, contact details. So. I want to help the club as much as I can because what they're trying to do for the area um, and the location where it is, is is phenomenal for, for the children, but also for the parents knowing they've got a safe environment to, to go and enjoy themselves, play football. And, um, you know, and, and the ambition they've got for the first team is, is magnificent. So, fingers crossed, it's been COVID hit over the last couple of years. Obviously, the first year, is they were top of the league, they couldn't get promoted because the you know it was null and void. But hopefully things can get back to normal. The team can perform to the level required, and it can match the ambition of the owner and the com- and the committee. Because you know it's not pie in the sky. They're they're you know putting them the the, the money where their mouth is, and they're trying to get the team as high as possible in the football pyramid. And I'm I'm there to back them in any way I can help. Absolutely. In terms of the work that you did do previous to being out in Sudan, how important is the setup of those junior structures? Because in terms of a pathway from junior to senior, that's going to be the lifeblood of the club for the next you know, 10, 15 years and so on. Yeah, that'll be the lifeblood of the club as long as it's running. You know, the, the children there and um, I think trying to create an environment where they come and they enjoy it, they have smiles on their faces. Can we develop you know, those um, elite ones and, and uh, you know, one playing for the first team, but also going on to have careers in professional football. And by the time some of those real young ones grow up with the ambition of Stephen and the committee, they, um, you know, the club could be, you know, in and around the football league. Who knows? I know that's their ambition and they're not frightened to say it and they might get ridiculed in some quarters for that. But, you know, as I said, they're, they're, they're pushing on, they're trying to do the right things. Um, but also just make sure that the, the children get the best of coaching, get the best uh, 
way to be looked after, welfare, and um, also an enjoyable place, the Bobby Robson uh, Lounge, somewhere where the parents can enjoy, you know, a bite to eat and a drink and, and, and watching live television, live football, and watching the first team games being beamed back. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's brilliant the way they've got it set up. It, you know, it's, it's always going to take time and you're always looking to tweak things here and there. That's what we were trying to do. But the, the, the children are treated so well. They look fantastic in their in their match strips and their track suits, and uh, it's a it's a great representation of the club in the area. Well, I've got in my notes here that really the only way is up for the club, and the fact that these pathways are in place, those kids that we are sort of talking about, they could be playing at a very high level of football in a decade's time. There really is no reason why it can't happen, and that kind of ambition can be matched, can't it? It's not just ambition for ambition's sake. There is an actual process that is in place and it's very exciting at the same time. Well, what the coaches at the football club have bought into, um, they've bought into, yes, if there is elite players developing them and giving them an opportunity to to live the dream, basically, of becoming pre- professional footballers, take it either in the men's or the women's game because that has grown at an unbelievable rate, women's football. So, you know, cater for, for, for all that but you know not everyone wants to be a professional footballer I was a young lad who came through the famous Walls End Boys Club which produced many many uh, top footballers but there's there's also lads uh, who I played with from there who went on have other fantastic careers away from football you know um, in, in the army in the, in the fire service in the police service um, is accountants is lawyers all kinds of businessmen, entrepreneurs, you know. Um, so it, it's it's molding the, the person, it's molding the individual, it's giving them uh, the right ways to go about with respect and, uh, you know, and, and, and be polite and, and, and trustworthy. So, you know, it's, it's about the individuals. And we want to make all, all levels of players, boys and girls, welcome at the club, um, you know, and... Uh, Whatever they want to try and achieve in their life, we want to try and be a part of that. And the club wants to try and help them achieve that. Is another reason why it's so appealing, if we take away the sort of local element, the fact that a club at this level is an element of blank canvas to it all, because you're not just taking a job where processes are in place. It's kind of you can set those frameworks that then set up the club for generations to come. Of course, yeah, that was a big pull for us when I spoke with Stephen and and we're talking about my involvement with the club was to, you know, it was a blank canvas. It was to start from the bottom with the with the real youngsters. And sometimes that doesn't bear fruit for a few years. If you're starting a new plan, you know, you don't expect to see players, you know, within six months or a couple of years start, you know, coming from the club into the, the, the football world, the professional football world, or even... You know, at the time, you know, getting developed in the first team press for Newcastle Blue Star, it's, it's going to be a long period of time until all those, you know, things that we want to put in place start bearing fruit. So, but, you know, there was some great work done before I arrived. So, you know, I was just trying to add to that. And, um, you know, the, the coaches who give up a time for free, spend hours and hours per week um, either coaching or on the phone or, organising fixtures and they show a great attitude and they're desperate to try and help the the children um, achieve their their goals and their dreams, you know. Do you also think it's important for the city as a whole to have another viable option in terms of support each weekend? Now, 
That's not to say it has to be an either-or situation with United, but when you think about it, there are more than enough fans and there's enough football to go round for Blue Star to play an important part in even more people's lives. Well, I think what Stephen and the committee have done, they're trying to create a hub that has um, an element of you go down as a family and you can go and watch the first team play. You can go and watch your, your, your children or the youngsters play in the morning in the early afternoon. Then you can go and watch the first team at 3pm and, and and you can have food and drink. You can, you know, once all the restrictions are lifted, then go into the, the Bobby Robson Lounge, which is a great venue. Obviously, it has a, a, a lot of history to it. Um, and, and, you know, you can you can have, have family days out there. It's for, it's, for, it's for young and old. It caters for everyone. And, you know, uh, some of the, the things that they've put in place, the, you know, the sponsors, suite and um, et cetera, and, and eventually the, the hospitality area that will be built on the, on the uh, new stand. Um, it'll be fantastic. It'll, it'll be a real sporting and um, entertainment hub. Uh, for the whole community, where they can they can go seven days a week and they can be there as a family. To extend on that point, is it so important to tap into that local area and create a real sense of identity around the club? Something that everyone, no matter what part they play with the club, on or off the field, can then buy into. So in essence, it really is everyone's. Without a doubt. And that's that's what Stephen and the committee have, have pushed hard to do. That's their philosophy. It's, it's for them. He's been... <coughs> excuse me, a successful businessman. He wants to give something back to where he was born and bred. And he's doing that. He, he, he wants to he wants to create that environment where the, the, the love being at the place so they can bring the children, they, they can play football, they can be coached. As I said, they can, you know, uh, just relax and chill out, knowing that the, the children are enjoying what they're doing and uh, it's, it's a great environment to be in. And then, you know, go on, in the afternoon down to watch the first team, give them great support and to try and push them on. I mean, that, that that's the one area of the club that, you know, that would like to get things speeded up in terms of, um, you know, being successful. That's not easy. It's easier said than done. It's okay for me to sit and say that, but, you know, because of the ambitions of the club, they just want, um, they just want that team to be so successful to, to try and get, you know, through the, the different levels of the pyramid. Um, and what Stevens obviously uh, and the committee have, have planned in terms of the stadium, there'll be no issues in terms of uh, will the stadium be up to the, the criteria of the different levels that that, that will pass all those uh, checks. So it's about getting the team to be as successful as possible to, to get the first team playing at the highest level it can. Absolutely. And it really is an exciting time. I mean, I've only really been established with the club for six weeks or so and I love it already I've got the bug and everyone's been welcoming and friendly and I think you know this is just in this sort of Covid period and I can't wait to see it at its full capacity it's really well, exciting I think I think one of the big things about the club it's like um, it's like the second Newcastle United it's you know the kit is retro Newcastle United strips from the 80s and 90s which you know was a period um, of of of, of greatness in terms of what the fans used to love going and the Kevin Keegan era both as a player and a manager so there's the links there there's obviously the links um, you know with, with the blue star on the front of the pitch with, uh, the front of the uh, strip sorry 
which was a, a huge link in the city of Scottish and Newcastle breweries, which was a, a huge local business. So we, um, you know, there's all those type of links. And um, as you rightly said, you know, um, can still support, you know, Newcastle United, but also come and, and, and give the support in Newcastle Blue Star as well. Absolutely. Just to wrap things up, I've got a couple more questions, if you don't mind. First up, I've got a friend who I do podcasts with who's a Fulham fan. And on behalf of my friend Matthew, he just wanted to know what your time was like at Craven Cottage and especially the 2001 season when you won the first division and gained promotion to the Premier League. Yeah, well, that season stands out in terms of we just got a new manager, foreign manager, and John Tigana. And uh, he just got us... We were obviously a talented group of players in any way, but he just got us the fittest we'd been um, ridiculously fit in terms of football fitness. And um, he made some astute signings. And the football we played to to win the championship was phenomenal. Um, the, goal, the amount of goals we scored um, and, and, and we breezed the league. And then obviously went into the Premier League and um, done really well there. Finished, uh, you know, got the club into Europe. So captained the club in, in European competition and uh, it was a phenomenal time for us. I never thought I'd ever live in London when I went, ever I went to play there in the past. It seemed so big for a lad from the northeast. It was get the game played and get out. And So I never thought that would be my home uh, for six, seven years like it ended up. And um, I'm glad it was. A, a brilliant club with fantastic fans. Loved playing for them. Was so proud to be the captain, um, and got voted into the Fulham Hall of Fame a few months ago, and so it was a, a, an unbelievable time for me. So, um, my family loved it down there. My youngest boy was born down there. Me, me other two children schooled down there, and we just got treated unbelievably well by the football club and by the fans and. Uh, it, it holds a special place in, in mine and my family's heart and will always be a, a huge fan of that football club and want them to be successful. This season's been horrible for me because for a long time it's been between Newcastle and, and Fulham who looked like they were going to, who's going to take that last relegation spot. Unfortunately, it looks like Fulham are going to do that. I was hoping that both clubs could escape and um, without being, being disrespectful to the other clubs in the relegation battle and one of them you know, went through the trapdoor but it, it looks highly likely that it's going to be Fulham hopefully they can Scott can stay Scott Park IX teammate of mine and um, can uh, build on you know, some of the good work he's done and, and get them back at the first attempt because I want to see them back in the Premier League and, 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 and be a regular again there OK I've got one more question it's a bit more light hearted I have a friend who's Colombian and he absolutely loves Faustino Asprilla. So you probably get asked a lot of questions about Tino. We heard an urban myth once that he turned up to training and asked you that he didn't have many clothes after coming from the club. He wanted to get some new fashion gear and you told him to go out and buy some Disney clothes because everyone was wearing Disney. Is that true? And did he turn up to training the next day in Disney Clobber? Um, most of it's true. The part about him not turn, turning up, not having any clothes, and me saying a Disney, no, that bit's not true. But ah. he did wear, he did wear Disney shirts, <laughs> so he would wear, so he'd wear a white, a white shirt with Tweety Pie in the on the in the shoulder or on the back. 
Um, so they used to regularly get cut. We used to get to his stuff and cut the arms off. So when he came in from training and he'd had his shower and he'd put his shirt on, there was no arms to it. <laughs> um, we regularly cut the toes from his socks. So when he pulled his socks on, it ended up on his thigh. Um, what a brilliant guy. What a brilliant character. He bought into the the group straight away. He was We loved him. Every player, you know, loved him. He was frustrating because... You know, those nights at Barcelona, against Barcelona, he could do all the time. Um, but he also had that, you know, Latin American side to him where, you know, he could frustrate you. But he, he was a sensational footballer, brilliant, brilliant fella. So many laughs with him. Um, you know, speak to him now. You know, he's still got great affection for Newcastle. Loved the area and... Um, you know, the people loved him and rightly so. We we loved him as teammates. We thought he was brilliant and uh, it was an unbelievable footballer. Uh, but just a, a, a real top guy who, you know, didn't come in and try and give it the big I am or, or try and change things to the way he wanted it. He adapted to us and uh, we loved having him about. And he was, he could never relax for sure in the dressing room and at the training ground when Tina was around. Top man. Right, I think we've hit full time, to be honest. So that's all my questions for this fifth episode. Lee, is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we haven't covered already? No, just to send me best wishes to Newcastle Blue Star. Uh, is to, to Liam and Paul to continue the good work they started with in the cup competition. Hopefully that can be successful and the club can push on and everyone get behind them. It's a fantastic opportunity for the area. And, uh, you know, uh, as I said, get behind Stephen and his committee. He's doing it for you. He's not just doing it for himself. So you get behind him and, and make sure it works. Fantastic. Cheers, Lee. In that case, I think, like I say, we've hit full time. So all I need to do now is thank you for your time once again. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Before we wrap things up, I just need to do some admin. Admin that comes in the shape of the first team. As we know by now, unfortunately, there's no immediate cup final to look forward to. So commiserations must go to the management team and the first team players involved at the weekend. Not just those players, though, but also everyone who's had minutes during the group phase. I think to a man, their efforts have been excellent and it does bode really well for next season. In terms of the management team, we are keeping them busy with a Q&A session next Friday, that being May the 14th. I'm not sure if tables are still available, but £12 does get you a table of six, a pie and peas per person and some Premier League football thrown in to boot. So it should be a cracking evening in store. It was a cracking afternoon last Saturday, although the result wasn't what we wanted. Also, there are Euros tickets still available for the marquee. So if that's of interest, look into that. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. To wrap things up, I do need to thank Lee once again. A real pleasure to chat to him. I look forward to doing it again soon. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, this is the Newcastle Blue Star Podcast, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.